Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 29th episode, and for more than two years during the pandemic, we have had a laser focus on hospital capacity, which we know has been pushed to the brink. But what we often forget, or at least fail to acknowledge, is the capacity needed to get people to the hospital. Throughout the multiple waves of the COVID-19 pandemic, our emergency medical service, or EMS, providers have similarly been strained by staffing issues, long wait times at hospital emergency departments, and lengthy transports across the state to find space for people to get care. Now, the staffing issues were around long before COVID, but much like everything else, the pandemic has exacerbated them. In fact, in a legislative hearing earlier this year, the head of the Arkansas Ambulance Association said that just 42% of actively licensed professionals in the state were working in the industry. Now, here to talk about the impact of COVID on emergency medical services and more generally about how ambulance providers operate in Arkansas is Greg Thompson, the executive director of MEMS, which stands for Metropolitan Emergency Medical Services. Now, Greg has been with MEMS for 30 years, and he's the first in Arkansas to be a fellow in the American College of Paramedic Executives. He has a bachelor's degree in organizational management a master's in psychology, and as a lifelong learner, is pursuing a doctor of education in community counseling with a focus on trauma. Greg, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Now, before we get to the more serious stuff, we're going to get there. I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not at MIMS. So I've been hanging out with Miss Debbie since the ninth grade. <laughs> and so I talked her into marrying me 43 years ago, and we're learning how to live on dirt. And uh, what I mean by that is we just uh, sold our boat. We lived on a boat for 16 years. Oh, wow. And just moved off the water. And, uh, and so we're learning how to live on dirt, and that's a whole new experience right now. Getting get your land legs. Yes, indeed. Say, right? Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Great. So I asked this of all of our wonky guests, what would you say is your theme song? Not the love boat. That's it's fair. Yeah, it's fairly easy. James Taylor, The Secret of Life. Oh, uh, great. Name two boats after it. Uh, the line in the song says, The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. That's great. That's so, great. That's and, my song. Yeah, what a great artist, James Taylor. Yeah, indeed. Huh? indeed. I was listening to him this morning. Indeed. That's great. Um, so tell us about MEMS. What areas do you cover in the state? How many vehicles in the fleet? All of those types of things. Sure. So MEMS is actually a part of the city of Little Rock. We're not tax based. We'll talk about that in a minute, maybe. Okay. But we have 62 trucks. We cover all of Pulaski County except the city of Jacksonville. They're fire based. Okay. We cover the city of Maumelle, the city of Sherwood. Uh, we cover all of Grant County, including the city of Sheridan. So spread out pretty, well, pretty wide. Mm-hmm. Huh? Um Mem, I, I know a little bit about the trauma center working on the, the mm-hmm. legislation, but um, it's the it, it is the location of the the trauma center's brain, right? And by brain, I mean it's kind of the epicenter, right? Sure. So we are the Mems did receive the contract 
to be the uh, coordination center for the trauma system for the state of Arkansas. So we manage uh, hospital-to-hospital movements, okay. and then we also manage the um, the EMS services. So when they have a trauma, uh, they call us up, and we can tell them, based on the kind of trauma they have, which facility would be the most appropriate for them to go to. Okay. This saves a lot of moving around. Yeah. Like uh, if you carry a patient with a lot of ortho trauma to a hospital that at that moment can't handle that ortho, right. then we're going to have to stop, regroup, move that patient to another place. And so uh, this really helps make sure the patient gets to the right spot the, the first time. It saves lives, you too. Bet. Yeah, it it does. saves time and it saves lives. Yeah. We also function during COVID as a COVID call center. Okay. And um, another thing that people may not know about the, the trauma system and specifically the, the, uh, the trauma center at MIMS is that we were the first in the nation to have uh, hand telemedicine. And prior to that, what was happening is uh, there were you know, hand doctors. We were having to send people out of the state. Oh, wow. And by having telemedicine with hands, we're able to hook up to a group of hand physicians who are on call and look at it and say, yeah, that needs to be seen right away. Or, no, you can clean that up and we'll see it tomorrow in the office. And that has saved a lot of movement around the state. Yeah. And, and then we parlayed that into now for burns. So the burn center actually is able to look at burns from the rule setting and determine if that patient needs to be transported or if that patient could be cared for there. Right, right. So, yeah, and, and burns and, and hand trauma, mm-hmm. very important in a, in a rural farming you state bet. where they're dealing with a lot of equipment and chemicals to, to put on the, mm-hmm. on the field. So very important. So I've often heard that ambulance providers rely upon having a monopoly. Is that true? So I'd use the word uh, instead of monopoly that I would use the word exclusivity. Exclusivity. (laughs) Yeah, in our business, that's the word we use. And so really what that means is there's a cost of readiness. So to make sure that ambulance is able to sit in that station on the corner or whatever and respond to that 911 call that by the very nature is unplanned uh, to something that you may or may not be paid for is a very expensive yeah. proposition. And so what the state of Arkansas has done that says you can that the cities and counties can contract for a specific area and say that this area is going to be covered by this provider. Only, yeah. And, and so they're able to take the non-emergency stuff, which is able to be make sure that it has the insurance so that it meets medical necessity and those kinds of things, those pay runs in the support of that is able to flow into the readiness cost for being able to do the 911. You need that volume you to be able to survive. You bet. Okay. So how are ambulance services governed in the state? You mentioned a little bit about how they're contracted. Um, are, are they, you mentioned your city based, uh, are they private versus city owned and are there different benefits or drawbacks to different governance structures? Sure. So basically five different types of ambulance services. One is fire-based. When I said what we covered a while ago, I mentioned Jacksonville. They are, they are fire-based EMS. So, so fire-based meaning that the fire department fire department has ambulances has as ambulance well. Service. So you might, uh, depending on how they're set up, but in some locations, the, the medic may be on the, the fire apparatus today, but he may be on the ambulance tomorrow. And they can do different ways to set it up. So that's basically okay. a tax-based system. Uh, most of the time, they may do some billing. Again, they're all different, but but this, the main thing there is that fire is the one that takes care of that okay. response. Okay. Um, they typically don't do the non-emergent side of that. So Jacksonville actually uses another provider to do the non-emergent okay. side of that for the city. Okay. Uh, another one is uh, private. So there's a lot of that in Arkansas, private for profits. So these are folks that go out and, and just do that and, and uh, contract with different areas. There are um, uh, hospital-based and okay. uh, Celine Memorial is one of the ones that we would point to here locally. Well, there's another provider in Celine County now. The, the hospital still has their own system. Okay. There's volunteer, 
and there's still volunteer around in some of the smaller areas. Really? And then the last one of us would be a public utility. Okay. And so while we are part of the city, we don't receive tax money. Uh, we are basically operate off fee for service. Okay. So you you build insurance companies, and that's how you mm-hmm. get your. And when you mention non-emergent transports, you're talking about maybe like a transport um, from maybe a long-term care facility sure. or something to a different facility. Sure. It could be uh, somebody at some nursing home has been seen at the hospital and they're going back to the nursing home. Okay. But they, they can't sit in a car, so right. they have to ride that way. Or um, hospital to hospital, going for a higher level of care. Okay. Uh, those kind of things. Okay. Okay. So... Tell us a little bit about your experience through MEMS during the height of COVID. Um, were there any lessons learned out of that? Hmm. Um, I know there were a lot of hard lessons learned. Oh, yeah. We were tested like we have never been tested before. Yeah. Uh, not just MEMS, but healthcare, obviously, as yeah. a whole. And I think there are several things that we've learned, and, and one is how interdependent we are. I, I think we knew that, but not to the level that yeah. we did that, how one piece affects everything. Like early on, one of the things that that really stood out to us was uh, in EMS, uh, one of the first things you learn is, is the scene safe, right? So if there's a a violent scene, then the police go into the scene, they secure the scene, as we say, Uh make it safe, and then we go and do a response. When COVID came out for the first time, we found paramedics securing the scene. And by that, I mean, if it was a medical call, then many times early on, fire and police would stand back and go, okay, medics, go in, and if you need help, we'll come in. But if not, <laughs> we're not going into that environment. Interesting. And so that was a very it was a very interesting change yeah. for us. And then as time went on and we all kind of got used to it, 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 it that kind of slacked off. But early on, it was that was a, a very big thing. We learned how interconnected we were as far as um, – in the you know hospitals when we start talking uh-huh. about staffing you're right all of us were had staffing issues moving into it but whenever we you know we would get to the hospital and they would be overwhelmed and so yeah. their delays sometimes hours to get a patient off our cot equal delays of us being able to respond to calls which meant other that the fire that. department and our other first responders were having to wait longer on us to get there but we but it was all a connected thing yeah and so lessons learned is one of them is managing expectations um, you know, there's been a belief, I think, for years that, you know, if you go by ambulance to the hospital, you're going to be first seen. Well, that's not true, especially during yeah. COVID. Yeah. You might actually be taken off the cot and put in the waiting room. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff we learned. That's interesting. Huh. In the interdependency, that's critical. Mm-hmm. Huh. So uh, I mentioned the, the staffing issues, and you, you just mentioned them as well. How, how is the industry addressing those issues? You know, we're still a relatively new industry. We're not even 50 years old yet. And mm-hmm. I can tell you, if, for us, and I think a lot of people are doing the same thing, we started our own school several years ago. Oh. We were waiting on people in the past. Like when I went through school, I went and went and found me a school, and then I went and found me a job. And so what MIMS realized is they weren't coming that way fast enough. Uh-huh. So we partnered with South Art Community College out of uh, El Dorado, of all places, hmm. uh, but we are able to offer our EMT and paramedic school with college credit, and we're able to bring people in, hire them as employees, put them through school, give them college credit, and then put them on a truck with a license. And so a lot of other people around are doing kind of the same thing. We're trying to find unconventional ways to get those kind of folks into it. We're looking for ways to have better retention. You know, So how do you get them in the past? EMS has been a 
you know, suck it up kind of place. And, you know, <laughs> we hope you make it and I hope you're strong enough to do this yeah. job to trying to find ways to bring people in with the right attitude, aptitude, and then give them the tools, even psychologically, right, to be right. able to handle the kind of work that we're doing. Um, pay is a big thing. We're looking at different ways to do benefits. I mean, I think about any industry, we're look, we're trying to be as creative as we can <laughs> to find ways to, to lean into this issue right now, for it's, sure. How long does that training take? So for us, the EMT school, because you're going five days a week, okay. and so it takes about seven weeks to go through EMT training. So that's the, okay. the basic level. And then you test. For us, you'll come out with a state and a national license. A paramedic school, five days a week, uh, takes you about uh, seven months to go through. Oh, and wow. so this is really intense. So it's not the traditional way. When I went through paramedic school, 18 months, right, because you're going part-time. So this is, um, it's like drinking from a fire hose for sure. So, and you you vaguely mentioned this earlier, what most folks don't know is that you guys don't get paid if you don't transport. Correct. Very rarely (laughs) do we ever do. So there might be some times when you'll go and and maybe, you know, start an IV and give some dextrose or something that you might could bill for. But for the most part, no. If we go and and you don't get transported, then, then no. Huh. So, so then how does insurance work for, for ambulance services? So fee for service. Okay. Uh, so if we, it's basically, if we transport somebody, the way the model is set up now, and that's something that we're hoping to change in the future. COVID okay. again taught us that, and, but, uh, that if we transport, then, uh, we're able to bill and, and the, in the, what we receive is all over the place, you know, okay. whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, whether it's private right. pay insurance, you know, and then, um, so, and is it based on kind of a level of service? Is it based on mileage for the transport? M- all the above. All okay. the above. Yeah. So if it's a if it's a BLS call, basic life support call, or an advanced life support call, uh, you know, there's some things that we do that we get paid for, and others we don't. But you know, drugs that we give, uh, okay. uh, things that we perform, actions okay. that we perform, intubation, IVs, those kind of things, twelve lead EKGs. Uh, then mileage on top of that for the transport. Okay. So it's just kind of this laundry list, but not everything gets paid, obviously, as, right. as any healthcare provider will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking to change stuff, so I'm going to ask you the big question. If you wanted to change three things, whether at the state, federal, local level, that would improve your ability to do your job, what what would those be? Reimbursement is, is huge. Um, we got uh, a raise two years ago for Medicaid. That's the first raise we'd received in 20 years. Wow. <laughs> so uh, for the ambulance providers, that is something we're constantly struggling with. And so reimbursement at all kinds of levels, that's something you're seeing us really active in our ambulance associations are working on. And with that, this it's coupled with it, and that's the ability to treat and not transport. Uh-huh. When you think of COVID, there were several times when it would have made sense for us to be able to go into the home, check on that patient, follow up on that versus them taking a bed in the hospital. It could yeah. have been released sooner if there had been a funding mechanism for that when it would have helped the whole system. Um, alternate destination protocol is a big one. For example, you may have somebody who, let's say, is uh, cleared by Medicare to go on a stretcher to dialysis because that's the only way they can move. They, they have no other way to get there. But that same patient can't be carried to their doctor's office. Yeah. And so those kinds of things. And then the last one, I'd like to see uh, EMS moved under uh, Health and Human Services. Uh. So we were established to solve a transportation problem, yeah. not a health care problem. 
In fact, uh, the, the, the 1966 white paper came out that talked about the neglected disease of the modern century. And what they said was you had a better chance of living if you were in Vietnam and got shot than you did if uh, you had a wreck in America. Yeah. And so EMS was born to fix a transportation problem. Huh. And we're so much more than that. However, we're still stuck under the Department of Transportation, not healthcare. Yeah. So we're not seen as an essential service. That's like with the air ambulance. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're under the Department of uh, I can't remember the Federal Aviation Administration, mm-hmm. and it's just now that they're being started to to being brought into the the healthcare space as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 it makes perfect sense. Sure. Right. Yeah. Because you're 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 a part of the system, of course. Yeah, but you're again, governed separately. The, in, in the interconnection that we saw, but again, not essential service, not connected really to healthcare, just seen as this, huh. um, yeah, bridge. I guess. Yeah, that that definitely needs to change. So, a um, little more lighthearted question: What's the wildest thing that you've seen on the job? And I know you've I, you've seen some stuff. I could tell. <laughs> ben, I don't even know how to respond to that one. You know, I I don't know. I think, you know, so I guess the one that comes to mind because I thought how to how can I answer that question? <laughs> There's probably some things you can't say, right? Yeah. So it was the it was the intersection that we pulled into, minding our own business, not on a call. When the naked person stepped in front of the truck to get our attention and then climbed on top of the truck and started dancing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the wildest, but that's a true story. No, that's a true story. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. I'm, I'm sure you've got a lot more of those <laughs> stories. Um, so you, you've been in the, in the business for a long time. Um, what is the one thing that you would tell a new EMT? The first day on the job. So I do that already, right? When we hire them, yeah. I, I'm, I'm there with them at the first day. And there's several things I tell them. But I, I guess the first one I come to is that if you get into this business thinking that you just save lives, you're going to be frustrated and you'll burn out pretty quick. Yeah. If you get into this business saying, hey, I want to make a difference in, in whatever word you want to use, I want to, I want to serve, I want to minister, whatever your word is, then every day you can check that box because every day there's an opportunity to make a difference with somebody. And if you do that, you're going to be great in this field. That's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate your time coming and talking with us. And uh, it's been great. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Walks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.